Welcome to the It's Hard to Know podcast, a podcast about PMA, mental health, finding and staying on a path in a world that makes it pretty difficult to do so. I'm your host, Michael Hank Renfro, and thanks for joining us today. All right, it's Thursday, the 18th of June. I'm a couple of days late with this week's episode, and frankly, it's because I got some pretty bad health news. Health news, like that's a thing. News about my health uh, last week, last, last Wednesday. And it's taken some of the steam out of my sails. I'm not going to die or anything, I don't think. But it's going to be a big change uh, for my life and something that I'm going to have to to figure out how to live with. And I definitely plan to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but I need to grapple or figure out exactly what it is first. I've had two appointments, um, two doctor's appointments in the last week, and I've got another one next Monday, and then a couple more between the middle of July. And so hopefully by the middle, end of July, I'll have a pretty definitive answer on on what the fuck is actually going on. Um, it's kind of scary, I guess, in that I think the scariest part of any health crisis or any health situation is the lack of control and the lack of uh, ability to do anything Uh, you kind of almost feel like a prisoner in your own body and your body is deciding it's either against you or it wants to fuck with you and there's not much you can do uh and it's frustrating and so I know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to like die or anything. I'm going to have to make some serious life changes. Um, but before I can even figure out what all those changes are going to be and to the degree that I need to take certain changes, I got to know what it actually is. And that's a long process. So that's why I'm a little late this week. And then just throw on top of that all the other <laughs> heaviness in the world around us and seeing social change happen at a pace that I'm blown away at how quickly we're seeing some of this change happen. Are we in now the second wave of COVID as well? Um, or are we still in the first wave and we never actually peaked and so watching things return to normal when they're obviously not has been interesting and frustrating as well and now I find myself in a high-risk category for getting sick (laughs) so I don't you know I don't know what that means So yeah, my health. 
I also, in the last 10 days, re-engaged, reconnected with somebody that I hadn't talked to in about a year. And it's frustrating and sad and painful to see that person hurting. And just this pain and suffering around us that in many cases there ain't shit we can do just adding to that sense of helplessness but the only thing that we can do that I can do that you can do is try to take care of yourself so you can be whatever the best version of yourself is so you can help others so you can be there for others because if you're not there for yourself and you're not healthy for yourself then well there's nothing you can do to help anybody else and so this episode this week is kind of timely for that uh, my guest this week Karen Camarado we spoke I think June 4th so maybe two weeks ago we recorded this episode and Karen is a person who just having a conversation with, I could feel a sense of, I felt this was a person who genuinely and deeply cared about other human beings, even as she struggles or seems to struggle with the contentment in her own life. Not that she comes across as a person without contentment, but when you hear her story and what she had to go through and how long it took her to find that peace in her life, it's, it's, it's heavy. And there were a couple aha moments in, in this conversation that I need to take to heart. One of which was uh, a conversation about guilt and how useless and fucking just unnecessary guilt is in the spectrum of all of the available emotions to us that guilt adds nothing. It adds no value. And you could say, well, feeling guilty leads to remorse or uh, leads to penance. And sure, having remorse and working through remorse and trying to better yourself is a is a positive emotion. That's taking a positive mental attitude to something you've done wrong in life. But feeling guilty doesn't do much of anything. It took Karen 20 years to move past the loss of her child into a place where she felt like she deserved to be happy again. And now... Karen is a grief and child loss coach who helps those uh, grieving with devastating loss, especially mothers grieving the loss of a child, to return to a life where they feel like they deserve some joy and where they feel that their life has meaning. Following the death of her eight-year-old son, Nicholas, 
who died of a tragic and horrible death, a tragic and horrible accident. Karen's life as she knew it changed forever. And after years of what she calls merely existing, Karen finally discovered her own keys to her healing and happiness in a Zumba class of all things. And she'll be quick to tell you that it wasn't the Zumba class that changed her outlook or changed her life, but it was the Zumba class that prompted her to make some of these changes. Um, after she came to her realization about her own happiness, she received certification uh, as a grief to gratitude grief coach. And Karen has been able to dedicate herself to the very new and relatively unknown area of grief coaching. And so we touch on grief coaching and the difference between grief coaching and therapy and how they are, how they work together in synergy. Uh, Karen is also the mother of two now adult children who, according to her, bring her great joy. And she is happily engaged to a man who uh, she says is a constant source of love and encouragement, which is a wonderful thing because we all deserve love. We all deserve encouragement. Uh, Karen is offering anyone who's listening a free month in her support group for moms who have lost a child, and that's called uh, Friends in Grief and Growth. And you can email her uh, to get that, and her email address will be in the show notes. Uh, you can connect with Karen through her website, risingaboveandmemoryof.com, or through her Facebook uh, group, which is Rising Above and Memory Of. And again, I'll post those links in the show notes. And you can also read her full story in the best-selling book, Trailblazers, 27 Female Leaders Share How They Use Their Gifts to Guide Others. And as I said, uh, my conversation with Karen felt like a gift. And it felt like talking to someone who genuinely cared about people. Even after we finished the recording, we spent another... 45 minutes um, talking after uh, I had stopped and looking back if I had known that that spontaneous conversation was going to take place I would have just kept the recording going um, it was a nice conversation and I really appreciate uh, her time for the interview and the conversation so I hope you enjoy it as well and I hope you're taking care of yourselves and each other and your friends and your family and that you're doing okay. All right, enjoy the episode. All right, good afternoon. Good afternoon, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for, for joining us. I just, before I jump in, you know, I got a lot of questions, but before we jump in, just a little background on who you are and how you got to where you are today and, and what's the story? Okay, sure. My name is Karen Camarado. Um, I was born in Buffalo, New York, and grew up in Connecticut before I moved here to South Carolina. And I, the way my story, story starts and I, why I'm here talking to you today is because in January of 1996, um, my son Nicholas died. Um, we were home for a day, a snow day. School was canceled and everything was closed. And we were just home in the house and he went outside to play. And the next thing I knew, I had someone knocking on my front door telling me that Nick fell in the pond. And 
honestly, I, my first reaction was just what pond, you know, we, we had a small neighborhood pond that I didn't even know would be deep enough to have, you know, cause this to happen. But what had happened was a, a thin layer of ice had formed because it was cold, but here in South Carolina, it's never going to be cold enough. Like in other States where you can just, you know, drive around on the ice. You just can't walk on it. So one of his friends fell in and then he, in trying to help him also fell in. Um, it was a day of complete craziness and madness, helicopters, rescue, fire, fire trucks, ambulance, divers. And, you know, I wish that after all that, I could tell you that it was a good ending, but it wasn't. And both the boys died that day. And so that's the day, January 12th, that I say the second part of my life began. And um, from, I, you know, I don't know how much you want me to go into, but from, from there, I was numb and, you know, just really not living a full life for a very long time. And so once I was able to take some steps, some baby steps is what I call it, um, I was able to make, end up making a really big transformation in my life. And now I work with moms who've lost children to help them try to do the same thing. So when you say a very long time, how long are we talking about here? Um, probably about 20 years. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. Okay. It happened in 1996. And I had a daughter at the time. She was one which I was very lucky because I had a reason to get up in the morning and take care of her. And I sure. shortly had another child afterwards. So I kept, I did my life. I, I performed, I did my duties. I paid my bills. You know, I got up and went to work every day, but the joy that I remember feeling in the past just wasn't quite there anymore. And I really thought that's just kind of what it was going to be. Like, I expected it should be that way. Um, I didn't know very many people who had lost a child, but I knew a few. And they were very sad people that just didn't seem to be loving their lives. I'll just put it that way. And so I just kind of accepted that that's the way it was. And it was... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say it was only after all those years that I, you know, by accident just kind of did something that made me remember what it felt like to feel happy again. You know, it was it's really corny. So sometimes I like get embarrassed telling people what it was because it's I took a Zumba class and okay. Um, I know, I know, I know. No, it's not corny <laughs> at all. I, I, I've talked about in in my experience, the very first time I did yoga, I sat there and cried like a baby because the instructor was like, it's okay if you don't get all the way there. Just love yourself. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga can be very moving. Really can. And this was this, you know, this was a situation where I got a, a, a an hour from worry and stress and, you know, just that numb feeling. And, you know, in the meantime, the music was fun. I made a lot of friends 
And so whenever I tell people this was the step, it was just a baby step. This isn't, you know, this didn't fix everything. Yeah. But it reminded me of what it felt like to feel good. And so I'm not a fitness expert. I, you know, I'm not here to say like Zumba will fix you if you take a Zumba class. <laughs> Nor <But> yoga. <laughs> it, it's just an experimentation. And so I just, when I work with moms now, I just try to get them to experiment sooner, you know, because there's, you know, yes, you're going to feel sad. Yes. Your life is different. Yes. It's never going to be the same, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence of misery. And I think people don't know that, you know, first of all, they don't know that. And they do. And at first they don't believe it. You know, that you can tell them, I'm happy and everything's, you know, I promise it can be better. But, you know, the depth of despair that you feel when you lose a child um, makes you feel that you can't. And then even yeah. when you do get a little taste of it, like a laugh, a joke, whatever, something makes you laugh, you like reel back because it feels wrong. You know, it right, feels yeah. like, how can I be laughing when my child died? And so on top of all those other things, there's this added element of guilt and just extreme sadness. And it's just, it's just one more level of grief is, is just all I can say. So what I like to do is just help people identify a little baby step that can give them that taste of feeling good without guilt. And I'm going to come back to that, but you mentioned something and I don't want to forget it about it being 1996 and not knowing that many people. Um, I was 15 in 1996 and I think that was the right when I got like the first AOL account. So there wasn't the internet the way that we know the internet today. There wasn't the ability to easily find as many resources or connect with people through Facebook or message boards. So what you know, what support existed outside of like immediate family. So different now. Um, I mean, I went to the bookstore. I bought books because that there was some books on grief and they were pretty basic. And one of the main ones is the stages of grief. Um, And people really rely on that for a lot. It's just one of the things that you hear that you go through these stages of grief, you know, denial and anger and depression and, you know, I don't even have them all memorized. There's five <laughs> of them, but um, but the thing is, and it, you know, all of those emotions that come through on the stages of grief are can happen. They don't all have to happen, and then there's so many more. But I remember reading that book and thinking, well, I'm I haven't been angry yet, so I'm not there. I didn't get to the anger stage yet, so I'm just going to wait for that because that's next. And, you know, now I know that's not how it works. And although it is common to feel a lot of those things, it isn't, um, and there's no certain order that you go through. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not a one size fits all thing for anyone. Grief is for everyone, for every loss, every loss is unique. Your relationship with that person was unique. It's, it's so complicated. How, 
So very different world. Now you have this opportunity to connect with people. 2016, 20 years later, you're taking the Zumba class. Endorphins are flowing. I mean, that's one of the good things about exercise may be a baby step, but it's probably a really good baby step. Definitely. Then you decide, I'm going to have this transformation in my life. Maybe the third phase of your life, you know, there's the before the passing of your child, there's that 20 year period. And then there's now. And then in that transition, you became a grief coach. Yeah. Um, I like you putting it that way. Like I, I've never really thought of it that way, but yeah, it is sort of the third stage of my life. And I had always gone on the, once there was an internet, which there wasn't when this happened, but once there was an internet, you know, I would Google grief counselors and, you know, grief work and all. And I just felt like I was so far away from any of that. But then one time I Googled it and there came up grief coach, what I've never heard of. And I connected with a, a school that taught it. And immediately I just knew that this is what I wanted. I, I'm not a therapist, but therapy has an important place in the grief process. And I feel like it's really important in the beginning because you've got to get to that point of surviving, you know, just getting through the days, being able to get out of bed, being able to function. I saw a therapist and that's what she helped me do. But the coaching part of it is the, is the transformation part. But I realized that I have to be careful about talking about a big old transformation because for yourself or for others, for others, for others. Okay. I realize now that it was a big transformation, but I didn't decide to make a transformation. It just kind of, it was just like a snowball effect. The one thing led to, you know, some personal growth type things. And I just kept dabbling in all these different areas and was just loving it all. You know, it's like you just kind of become a junkie for all the personal growth. And so the coaching came on top of that. And I just, I, I just have to be careful about talking to people about a big old transformation because it seems too impossible at first. It seems yeah, like I, that's great for you, but you know, it's been 24 years for you and you know, that's not going to be possible for me. You don't know my situation. So instead of just talking about how you can make a big transformation, you know, how about a small step? And that's kind of what we work on is just identifying one or two things to start with. Yeah, You mentioned getting addicted to the self-help and personal growth, which is, you know, of all the things to get addicted to, probably one of the better ones. Yeah. One of the things that really frustrates me is seeing people sell that quick solution to you. It's like, if you do these 10 things, you're going to be happy. And I think it does like selling a transformation will do more long-term damage, <clears throat> excuse me, than, um, than saying the honest thing, which is, this is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to take baby steps because when you say that, that sounds like an extended period of time. And then here's this app or this book that's saying, if you just do these things, you'll be, you know, a certain percentage happier. And but that's yeah. just not how the world works. It isn't. And especially when it comes to grief, uh, you know, and like you mentioned, somebody will 
say, I've got to do something. I've got to do it. I know, you know, like I'm, it's killing me. This is killing me. This life's killing me. And they'll reach out and they'll send me a, you know, they'll send me an email and say, yes, let's talk. And then slowly, you know, you get five minutes of relief or whatever. And all of a sudden, even that step feels too big because they know the consequences of talking to me mean um, digging up some emotions and going through, you know, some of the emotions and dealing with that, you know, it's almost like, I don't know if I want to be happy. It's unlike any other thing. You would think every person on earth wants to be happy, but when a lot of people who don't feel like they deserve to be happy. Right. And I, that's so, I, I see it over and over again. So the ones who can actually get on the phone and get started, it takes so much courage. And I see it. I see it every day. And it, they, you know, these moms, they amaze me. Um, it, it is just a really scary, scary journey. And I just, like I said, I just give them so much credit for trying. It's not easy. So when you were Googling four years ago after that Zumba <laughs> class, you're home, you're, you're still sweating. You're like, okay, got the energy. You got to do something here. And you find out about grief coaching. What were the steps and, and kind of walk me through, I guess, some of the key things that you learned and took away from that, uh, that uh, training or education process for that? You know, I feel like since I had been through it, when as I was learning the key elements of grief coaching, I realized that I kind of already knew it because I know what had helped me and what had not helped me. And so, you know, the just holding space for someone sometimes just listening, you know, initially someone just needs to be able to talk. I have looked very carefully at the things that helped me and Part of it is just telling your story. And it's so corny. It's probably it's you not know, corny at all. Many, it's... many parts of life, you know, your story needs to be told. And I feel like when this happens to a mom, it's almost like disbelief. Like you cannot believe that it happened. And so you tell people because, you know, you feel like they're looking at you like you're a regular person and they don't know that you're not a regular person anymore. And so... Um, I, you, there's a stage where you just have to tell your story. And I did. And I mean, I told my story a lot to a lot of strangers, coworkers, you know, I really wore some people out, but it's part, of, it's part of the acceptance process. I feel like if you say it enough times and if you talk yourself through it and it's changes over time, you know, you, the spin that you put on it, but it's part of being able to accept it. And acceptance is really important in being able to take another step. Well, I think it, it fills a critical need, which is, of course, the doorbell rings right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it fills a critical need, which is not feeling alone and right. like being able to connect with people about these experiences. And I find the more and more that I talk about my brother's experiences, people come up to me and tell me, about something that happened in their family. And now we've got this common place to start our conversation from. You said when you started the grief counseling or the grief coaching training, excuse me, that 
when you were learning these things, you realize that you kind of already knew them. Was there a moment in that process where you were like, damn, I know these things. It's time to actually do them. Was it kind of like an aha moment for you in any way? It was. I think about like all the things I know I'm supposed to do and then I don't do them. And then when I do them, I'm like, yeah, I knew that all along, but it took like the truth hitting me in the face to actually get out and do them. Exactly. But you know, what's funny is I knew there were so many out that needed help. So many women that needed this type of help. And I just thought I am going to be covered up because I know that I can help so many people, but what they don't teach you in grief coaching is the, the way to connect with these people. It's so complicated. And, and it's because of the reasons that I said, it's like they're mixed up between wanting to get help and not wanting to get help. Um, so it has to be very slow and it, you know, you have to work to gain their trust and to let them know that, you know, regardless of where they're at, you're not judging them and that you care. Um, but yeah, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to graduate from grief coaching school and, um, you know, I was just going to, I was going to quit my full-time job and I was just going to be so busy, but it has been such a process and it's been a few years now. So I am finally understanding the language that I need to use and this, the way they these moms need to be approached slowly and, you know, with so much respect. And so um, it was an aha moment in that I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, but it wasn't just overnight that I was able to do that. What are you, or what do you think the key differences, or how would you explain the key differences between uh, coaching and therapy? Well, I, you know, I don't, sometimes when I say this, it doesn't mean that I'm putting down therapy because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I really do think therapy is important. And when, it, when I was going through it, it just, there was not a coach to, to follow up next. That would have been extremely helpful for me, but therapy, I mean, it's all about just giving the, giving that time and space to talk about it, tell your story, question the reasons for guilt. And, um, you know, guilt is just a big one. I don't know why I keep saying it, but it really is something that so many moms struggle with because, you know, we have our children and we think it's our job to keep them safe and take care of them. And so even if it has nothing to do with what we, you know, what we've done, we still feel that guilt. So I think guilt is an important part of working through with the therapist sometimes, especially if it's very deep. Um, and is that kind of outside of the scope of what you try to address? Well, I want to, we work with guilt and exercises for guilt. But I just feel like guilt is a big one and it needs to be addressed from a lot of different angles. So, I mean, if somebody has already worked through the initial stuff, I mean, they can go right to a coach. But I see the benefit of working together. And like I said, I went and what happened was I got to a certain point. I just got to a certain point. I was functioning. 
I looked normal from the outside. I was able to go to work and not cry. And, you know, we took my kids to daycare and I cooked dinner. You know, I did all the things. So I just didn't feel awakened to the idea of taking what has happened and figuring out what can you do now that it has happened to make things better. It's a unique situation when you lose someone where you start to go, okay, well, I thought my life was going to be this way and now it's this way. So now that it's this way, what is it, what opportunities does that open up for me? What does that allow me to do that I never would have been able to do if Nick was just still here? And believe me, I wish he was. And I would trade it and go back to being, I call it clueless Karen, going back to being clueless Karen. <laughs> but, you know, since I can't do that, then I love the idea of being transformed and giving him the credit for it. Yeah, I I think I'd much rather be I'd have a, a life of being annoyed at my brother's shenanigans than uh, to not have him around at all. You yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah. But it's just, it's once it happens, there's this period where you just can't conceive. You just have to literally get up every day and try to make it through the world. But there comes a day where you can open, you can just open your heart a little bit to start considering those things. And I mean, for me, it, I just want it to have meaning. I want there to be some sort of a legacy and not just have it forgot, have him forgotten about. Yeah. Or it just be a tragic yeah, thing without any exactly. positive action coming out of it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. exactly what I mean. Yes. Just, in general, I think about just even in the last decade, seems like talking about mental health is more common. It seems like people are more open to therapy and there's all these online resources and apps and people are meditating more and doing yoga more. So there seems to be a bigger general uh, acceptance or general consciousness around taking care of yourself. What was the atmosphere like in 1996? Like what, what does a mother in 96 see looking at like the landscape of mental health? And then what does a mother in 2020 see? Uh, thinking back on it, my decision to go see a therapist was based on someone somewhere telling me you need to go see a grief counselor. That's what you do. Um, so and I don't remember who told me that, but for the people around me, um, my husband at the time, some family members, I don't think they really wanted to know about it. They didn't really want to know. They just wanted me to be the old Karen. And so there was no discussion as far as the mental health side of things. Now there's a lot more, but it's still, it's still a tricky road. And, you know, it plays into, I have so many moms um, whose children have committed suicide 
and struggled with um, depression and mental health issues. And so they are almost like, well, I couldn't fix him, so why should I fix myself type thing. Um, but it's sad when you when you need help and you go to see a therapist or you go can get connected with a coach, if that first person doesn't jive with you, you know, you just kind of say, oh, therapy's not for thing me. Off. You know, therapy's not for me. Coaching's not for me. That's just a big, that's stupid. And really, it's so sad because it really just takes, okay, if that one didn't work, go to another one because it does work. But you, you know, you do have to be connected with the right one. Everybody's different. It, and it's hard. That's hard to do. I always appreciate <laughs> I've, I've moved around a bit. And, um, you know, I always appreciate when a therapist is like from the very beginning, you know, if, if I'm not the right fit, uh, you're not gonna hurt my feelings, you know, let me know. Um, and I've had some that are like, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause I, I think I use my therapist as more of a coach than an actual therapist. I'm like, let me just talk about how I'm feeling. And you give me some, a nudge in one direction or another, or maybe, say, have you thought about looking at it this way? Because I don't necessarily feel like I want someone to tell me, you know, how to think or feel, right? which is a really traditional, I guess, old school approach to therapy. So I, I just in my experience with therapists, it seems like more and more transitioning to a more coaching style than a old school psychoanalyst, uh, yeah, lay Freudian, on the your yeah. mom didn't love you enough style of therapy kind of exactly. thing. Yeah. And I- you know, I'm, I give you a lot of credit for hanging in there, you know, when you went to the ones that were trying to guide you in a way that you didn't want to be wanted. But, you know, obviously you're the type of person, you know, that in the, at the end of the day, it's going to help. And yeah. that's what's important. But I mean, so many people who have no experience with it, they just give up on it. When you think about guilt, I think that's the, for me, I think for my mom, that's the lingering feeling. It's like acceptance is there. Okay. It's, it is what it is. The anger, you know, that can only take you so far, but the guilt is the tough part. And even when you look at a situation, you go, there isn't really anything I could have done or she could have done that would have changed the outcome. Or if there were things that we could have done it, the likelihood of it changing the outcome would have been very slim. What do you tell people who still have guilt? What does that mean? Cause that yeah, is, I mean, is it, that like the most co- common thing that you hear or. I think it is. Yeah. And it comes in a lot of different packages because you know, the situation is different. So first of all, one thing with guilt is let's just say you had done those things that you think may have helped. Is there a guarantee that it would have changed the outcome. No. no. So that's one way of looking at it. And then the other way is, you know, and I don't know if everybody really I like gets this when I say it, but for me it feels really powerful, which is the word guilt and what it is supposed to mean, which is that you're guilty. You did something wrong and you know, you need to be punished for it. And this is not what this is. 
you know, you didn't do anything wrong. And of course, you never did anything wrong on purpose. You would never purposefully hurt your brother or sure. mom would never hurt their children. Right, right. So the word guilt is not really the right word. I mean, yes, we have regrets and there's so many. Whenever you lose someone, you're going to have a regret. And it's just part of dealing with the guilt. But I mean, with the with the process, but you know, it's not really the right word. I don't know if that really helps people. Well, I actually just had a little aha moment there because hearing you say the word guilt, it sounded like a really nasty word. Yeah. Because you're just like guilt. And I'm like, that's a really crappy word for an emotion. It's horrible. Yeah. I had never thought about just the word itself. Yeah. You do not deserve to be carrying that word around with you. You know, yeah, you're not a criminal and, you know, there's plenty of people that, you know, ha have done things that they should be um, punished for. But I mean, moms never, and people who have lost someone never deserve to be punished. All you really did and all, all of us do is we love our person and we're not perfect, but we, you know, we're going through life and we're doing the best that we can. And sometimes... Like I said, no matter what you did, the outcome may not be different. It was for me too. My guilt was around, I shouldn't have let him go outside. He didn't have a proper winter coat because we live in South Carolina. It didn't usually get that cold. So he was bundled up with like all these sweatshirts and big pair of mittens that belonged to me. And so for a long time, that was in my head that if he had just been wearing the proper clothing that a mother should provide, you know, that things would be different. But would they, you know, and I just, yeah, you know, probably not. No. And you just cannot, you cannot do that to yourself. You don't deserve it. You know, you've got so much love there for the person. And I just feel like that just takes away from it. If you could go back to yourself in 1996, just like right now we get in a time machine, we're in 96. I don't even remember what was going on in 96. The Bulls were doing well. Simpson, 95 OJ Simpson. Yeah. Was, I, I remember. Watch the OJ trial. Um, Bob Dole's running against Bill Clinton. And you are looking at yourself. What would you tell yourself? You know, based on what you've learned and experienced in the last 24 years. You mean like right after I lost Nick? Yeah. A couple of days after, you know, the yeah. things have taken all the things that have to happen right after a death have happened and you're sitting at home and the last person is leaving after the, the you know, post funeral lunch. And, you know, what I would say is one day at a time. That's all you can do is one day at a time and it will get better. It can get better. But I don't know if I would have listened to myself <laughs> at that time because it's a very tricky, it's a tricky place. But just one day at a time is just, it's a cliche, but it's true. Yeah. First, like, don't you just understand, like, all you can do is just do this day, just get through this day. That's true for everything. Right. I mean, you, 
your first Zumba class, you probably were feeling pretty rough after that. <laughs> and then, you know, over time you, uh, and you know, like, Oh, I'm such a klutz. I can't believe I just did that in front of all those people. But, <laughs> but there, like you said, the endorphins were going and the hour went fast. So, um, I think there's, a, you know, there's not really anything that someone can say to you right after that's going to make it better. I remember people saying to me, someday this will all make sense. I do remember someone saying that to me and I was just like, shut up, you know, no, <laughs> but, um, but. Well, let's just assume that it wasn't you telling that it's just something that you knew. Yeah. Like if you go back in time with the knowledge that you have now that it's just something that you knew and internalized. I, you know, I wish that I could have felt that. I wish yeah. I could have felt that. That would be helpful. And so when I tell people, when I work with these moms and, you know, like I felt so crazy and scared the first time I told people it does get better because I'm sure like if you're online and you know that there's all these forums and all these groups for people that have lost their people, you know, some are very specialized for moms that have lost a child and some of them are just grief in general, but you know, there are people that come on there and they say, it's been two weeks since I lost my child. Please just tell me that it gets better. And there's so many people that come back with, no, it never gets better. Uh. And so, you know, I didn't have that because I didn't have the online groups and all that. So while they're great for support, if you can, you get the wrong message on the wrong day, oh, you know, how terrible would that be to hear? No, it never gets better. And so I felt so crazy when I was telling people it can get better. I promise you that it can get better. Um, and I felt very controversial and I just felt like it was really <laughs> like I was just being so edgy to even say that. So can you well, believe positivity it? is edgy. So good yeah, for you. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's not something that happens overnight and it's not something that happens easily. It's, it requires effort and, you know, there's days where you want to give up, but that's where the, just one day at a time thing comes in. So my next question is a bit of a curveball, yeah. And <laughs> given that it's 2020, which has been a, a year for the books, you know, with, with COVID and, and the just unrest and sense of grief in this country right now with, with everything going on, any, any thoughts that you've had about collective grief? I think the last time you know, we've been talking about this at work a lot is the last time that there was like this collective experience was probably 9-11 or Hurricane Katrina. And there's such potential and opportunity to you know maybe make the world a little better after this, the healthcare system a little better. Uh, race relations a little better, police relations a little better, but we have to process this collective grief around 110,000 people passing from COVID, around um, you know what was a really unfortunate, horrible, tragic event in Minneapolis 10 days ago. Was it even that long? The time just seems to be a thing, right? And then the collective 
just outpouring across the country right now. What, what can we learn from individualized grief that we can share collectively? You know, it is grief. I, I do believe that. I, you know, looking at it from my own personal feelings, I am going through some of those things where, first of all, I can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm, I feel so helpless and I feel so unable to fix things that I've, you know, I've always wanted to help fix things. And I want everyone to be, you know, I'm just naive. I just want everyone to be happy and I want everyone to love <laughs> each other. And, you know, it's not that easy, but for me, it's going to be baby steps for me. I am going to, and I have already, you know, just started to try to understand everything that's going on. And that's, that's just all I can do right now. You know, it's, it's a process. So first, let me just try to understand, let me be quiet. Let me shut up and just listen and, um, and go from there. And, you know, again, all of those myths of grief, um, you know, that you have to be strong, that you have to grieve alone, that you have to, um, give it time, keep busy, you know, all of those things, it's the same thing. You know, you have to take control of your feelings and own them and just give it, you know, listen and learn. I, I don't know if that's very eloquent. It doesn't feel no, like it is. I mean, it's super <laughs> critical. I think, you know, one of the downsides of the internet is now everyone's an expert in everything. So, you know, four months ago, everyone was an expert in North Korean relation, relation, relations. I can't get that word out of my mouth. Right. Then everyone was a pandemic expert. Now everyone's a, a race relations expert. And sometimes we just need to sit back and shut up and, and listen. And Exactly. I, yeah. you know, I remember when the COVID thing first started happening and we were staying home all the time. And I it was my own little life that I was thinking, I like this. I like staying home. Like this is kind of nice just to be home and, you know, get rid of some of the distractions of life. But then as time went on and I realized like how real it really was and how many people were being affected, I go back to being, okay, well that was the silly Karen. And now we, you know, and now I've, I've grown and I've learned that, you know, this is hurting a lot of people. And now the same thing. It's. I think that can be both though, right? Like I've, I've, when people have asked me, you know, how you been doing? Uh, well, I mean, me personally, I've been doing amazing. I've had time to focus on myself and tackle some things that I wanted to tackle, but it feels really shitty to say everything's going great with me when I look around and see what's happening. Yeah, that's it's, exactly so how I felt too. Yeah, hard to hold those two things at the same time. Yep, yep. It's our world is different. We are grieving our old world. It's just like when I lost Nick. There was before and after, and now mm. it's the same thing. There's the old world, and there's the new world, and there's going to be another new world, and there's going to be sure. another. But you know, 
it is a pro it is a grieving process. You have to say goodbye to what it used to be and you have to make sense of your new normal. And I think that's what I'm doing right now. I'm not, I haven't got this whole thing figured out, but I'm, I'm trying to make sense. And I know that well, I'm not just going to give up, you know, I'm not just going to say, well, I want it to be the old way. So, you know, I'm just going to fight and argue over it. And I'm not going to be like that. I'm just going to, I've got to make the best of it. This is our world. So, you know. And one of the things you said earlier about honoring memories and honoring stories is something I think we don't do well at an individual level for just the average person. Don't honor people's stories and their own life history and family history. And I think part of listening is hearing those stories um, and maybe divorcing ourselves from others' experiences. And I think there's an opportunity for growth there, but you got to listen first before, yeah. you know, before you can do anything else. It's part of the healing process. I think to hear other people. Mm. When I, when I said that I went and bought all those books and all that, I was very interested in reading about other moms who had lost children. I was very interested in knowing how they did their life. And so this is the same, you know, we need to listen to the stories. Let's be interested in them and, you know, try to figure out how that applies to us. America needs a grief coach. America <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know if I can handle it. That's, but, that's a, be a tough yeah, job. It's, it's grief. I mean, the way you put it, that's what it is. Yeah. Tell me, uh, end on a, on a high note here, tell me a little bit about the tour. You got the band. You hopped in a van. <laughs> you booked some shows. Yeah, not really, but we, <laughs> we bought a camper and we decided that we were going to just set out and meet some of these amazing women that I've met online that I wanted to connect with in person. And so we did that. We started, we did it in the fall and we went to um, a bunch of different places, Tennessee, Mississippi, Texas. We were in... Um, um, New Mexico. And I met some people that just blew me away, inspired me. You know, every time you think that you have a story and you have lived through something, whew, there's someone else who can, you know, raise it to another level. And yet there they go still breathing. I met some moms that in Texas that had survived, um, the loss of multiple children being murdered by their dads. Oh my God. And it, it was crazy just to, you know, just imagine what it feels like, you know, and yet here they are, they're just pushing, you know, they're pushing, they're pushing for justice. They're pushing for the, you know, their children to be memorialized in a happy and good way. And they're just doing all kinds of, writing books and running marathons and just doing all these amazing things. And so that has been, it was so unexpected. I just thought I was going to do a little social hour and meet some people, but it ended up really, really moving me and, and made me understand I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm where I need to be. But then 
you know, we were going to pick back up in spring and then COVID happened. So now we're just kind of trying to figure out what's next. Um, I'm actually going to be speaking at the Compassionate Friends. Um, com, com, uh, what's the word? <laughs> They're big to do in Atlanta um, every year they have. And um, that's happening this year happening. Well, it happens every year. Um, I just, sorry, I just meant in the context of oh, yeah, the world. Me. Yes. So yes, it's a, it, it was all up in the air. They didn't know, but I think they've decided that they are going to go ahead with it. And um, so I'm excited because again, I'm going to be meeting a lot more people that have survived this experience. And I mean, you can just imagine how inspirational they all are, you know, I mean, wow, look what you're doing. You know, it's, it's crazy. Was there a part of being in the camper and, or the RV and traveling around that was just healing in itself to, to get out and. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, you went to New Mexico, so you went to, obviously drove through some very beautiful Mm -hmm. places. And for me being in mountains or swimming in a river is a super healing thing for me. So I don't know. Was that part of the the thing for you? Totally and totally unlike anything. I've never done anything like this. So when I did, I quit my job. I, you know, started this venture. And when I did that, it was like the craziest thing I had ever done. And I, my heart and my mind expanded so much. And now I just, I'm, I just want to do more. You know, this, this is a beautiful country. It's, it's sad that right now we're, we're all so, you know, stuck where, where we are right now. And, but I think at the end of the day, it's just going to make us appreciate more our vacations and our trips and our, you know, being able to see the rest of the world and the country. Yeah. I just started last weekend, uh, the state parks in Texas opened up. And so last weekend was, uh, went camping for the first weekend and it was just so, nice to sit and do nothing and then go on a nice hike and swim in a lake. And it was just like, okay, this is, this is, I'm hoping the parks stay open and we can be responsible adults and not have to shut everything back down again at some point. But I agree. I'm so glad you got the opportunity to do that though. I know what you mean. So nice. Mm-hmm. All right. So where, uh, where can we find more about you? Well, um, I have a website. The name of my company is Rising Above in Memory Of. So the website is just www.risingaboveinmemoryof.com. Um, and you can email me at Karen at Rising Above in Memory Of. Um, I'm very excited about something that I'm working on right now, which is a support group online that I actually started like a month before COVID actually happened. But It worked out perfectly because what we do is we, as COVID started, um, you know, all these people who count on in-person support, whether it's a support group or it's a friend who's taking them out to lunch or whatever it may be, you know, they lost a lot of that. And so it just was good timing. And so we meet on Zoom once a week and, you know, the moms just show up and it's been a great experience. So if somebody wants information on that, it's, it's growing and it's, I'm building it to be a situation where they're, they're not just doing the support group meetings, but they're getting exposed to some other 
interviews and workshops and some fitness things, um, you know, to just let them try their little baby steps. And, you know, not everything's going to resonate for everyone, but, you know, I just hope like to give, give a little spark. Well, if you're on tour again and you make it through Dallas, uh, let me know. Well, I was in uh, Dallas and, I... and my sister lives there. So there is a oh, okay. possibility that that can happen. Well, I appreciate you, um, you know, taking taking the time uh, and sharing your story. I already know, I already think in my head, just in addition to my mom, several other people who are really going to connect with this uh, that I know personally and are, are struggling with some very similar things. Um, and who thought that a Zumba class would lead you here? I know it's crazy. Don't, don't laugh. (laughs) Hey, it's that baby step. That's right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was really nice to talk to you. All right. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, you could find me on Instagram at Hank underscore. It's hard to know. Or you can email me at mhr at itshardtoknowpod.com. I hate to ask, uh, but I do it every week. You could like and rate and share and all that good stuff. Gets the word out. Hope you're doing well. Take care of yourselves and each other. Keep that positive mental attitude.